They had lost everything. I had a student come up to me and say, hey, Mr. Porras, I'm sorry I lost my project. It was either my life or your project, and I chose my life. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Each week, Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. We're talking about one of America's most severe hurricane seasons. A few weeks ago, Hurricane Harvey hit hard on Texas and Louisiana. And as I'm speaking, Hurricane Irma is hitting Florida, and it's continuing to march inland. Just over a week ago, I realized that these hurricanes are affecting thousands. But since I had so many other things on my mind, I I didn't let these disasters affect me. And this isn't good, especially since I probably have the means of helping in some way or the other. I've realized that there are probably a lot of people in my same situation. And so I decided to dedicate an episode to at least getting a small glimpse into the effects of these disasters. And perhaps most importantly, what we can do about it. Last week, I spoke to Armando Porres, who is a Spanish teacher at one of the hardest hit schools in Houston. He got to see how the storms from Harvey affected both the rich and the poor. Here's our interview. So Armando, what have things been like since Harvey hit Houston just a few weeks ago? So actually things have kind of almost gotten back to normal, as normal as you could right after a huge natural disaster. Yeah. Um, the storm hit not this Sunday, but the Sunday before. Right. So we're now almost nearing two weeks since the bulk of the damage. So essentially we got all these storm warnings Friday, said Philip on gas and everything. Nobody really thought that it was going to hit us super hard. We experienced a lot of flooding in Houston, so we were just prepping for our normal flooding event. St- stocking up on gas, food, whatever. Oh, but, um, but really it wasn't, uh, there There wasn't like an evacuation notice or anything no, like that? No, and, and and Houston really isn't a place that can evacuate because there's not a lot of places to go. Uh, really? We've got the ocean on one side and the hurricane is hitting so many other places. And it, it's it's a huge metropolitan area. It's the fourth largest city in the in the U.S. And so they actually tried evacuating during, I remember which one. And people died on the roads trying to evacuate. Wow. Like over 100 people died on the road. So it wasn't, evacuation is not a safe plan because of Houston's infrastructure. Wow. Okay, so tell me what happened. So uh, Friday rolls around. Uh, We're waiting, waiting. School gets canceled. We find out Thursday night, late Thursday night, I think like at 10 or 11 at p.m. And so, I mean, I was pretty elated. I was like, sweet, uh, no school. Um, (laughs) Saturday rolls around, it starts pouring rain, and it starts raining hard. Roads are fine again. So we're thinking, okay, this is the storm. We're pretty good. Yeah. And then we wake up Sunday morning, and it just rains. It pounds us all night. Everything is flooded. Church really? is canceled. Everything's canceled. I look out my front. Uh, I walk out to my entrance of my apartment complex, and there's three feet of water in front of my street. The, the streets are completely flooded. There's no way I can leave my apartment. Really? I'm completely stranded. Yeah, I can't leave. I'm in charge of the men in my church congregation. And so I start making phone calls um, with other guys in my apartment complex. There's about eight of us in our apartment complex that live close to each other. So they start helping me make phone calls. We just start checking up on everybody. Yeah. Um, see how they're doing. Everybody's stranded. Nobody can go anywhere except for like one guy who's like, uh, my street's not flooded, but I can't go more than a block or two. Wow. We were all stranded. Yeah. And so as these phone calls start coming in, 
we start hearing it's like up to the window in water. My apartment's fine. Um, it's like a foot away from coming into my house, but I'm fine for now. My car's flooded. I'll figure it out later. So people right now are figuring out whose apartment they can go to because leaving Houston is not is no longer an option. Wow. Your freeways are flooded. Everything's flooded. The only thing you can find is if you can find a second story above you. And these are these are the people in a good situation. Yeah. This is the people who have it good. The people who have it bad, those people are realizing I've got six inches of water inside my house right now. Wow. I'm waist deep right now in water. And that's where the rescuers have to start going out in boats. Because Houston's got a lot of problems with alligators, snakes, rats, fire ant, raft colonies that just what? float on water. <laughs> are you kidding raft me? Fire ants, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of fire ants that just stand on top of each other and create a raft and they just float through the water. <laughs> the sewage, the manholes have floated up. And so if you're walking in the street, you don't know where a manhole is and you could just fall right in. Wow. If that means that the sewage is mixed in with all of the runoff oh, and flooding water in this mix of who knows what wildlife, who knows what sewage, and that's what's floating around. I mean, there's videos of people catching fish in their house, in their living room. Wow. Um, lady's taking pictures of alligators in her front yard as her front yard is completely flooded. Like, you don't know what you're going to get. So it's it's really dangerous, not just because of the water level, but because of what the water contains. And as the water level kept growing, there's people who were on the first story where the water's seven feet high. Can't be inside your house. And so they're just chilling on their roofs waiting to be rescued. And that's where social media came in, where people were just texting in, calling all these hotlines were just completely flooded with calls, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> and, and they couldn't keep up with the demand because there was way too many people who needed to be rescued compared to the amount of rescuers, which is really hard because the roads were flooded. The yeah. roads all through Louisiana, that freeway is completely flooded over. You couldn't drive on it. So the question was, how do you get to Houston by boat? Wow. So you had to get drive as far as you could, get to whatever areas or just wait for the water line to recede. And so really people couldn't come and help that much. It was just a really complicated way, like situation where you don't know how to get to the area. And then once you get to the area, how do you find the people who are in need? And that's where social media played a huge role in people just sending a GPS location and social media became a huge tool of rescue where it hadn't been seen before. Oh, that's kind of so cool. Uh, so the social media isn't all that bad. <laughs> yeah, social media, saved tons of lives and wow. quite literally not even figuratively quite literally people are only alive today because of snapchat instagram facebook twitter yeah or else they would have died on their houses they would have drowned and so tuesday was when we at least in our area were able to drive to certain places where that had been flooded just the six inchers the eight inchers the people who had about a foot of water they yeah. were fine as far as like the water had receded enough to where we could drive on roads and start cleaning up their houses. Um, but some people's water lines were still increasing. And um, even bigger problems is now our reservoirs were getting over, were overflowing. And so they had to release water from the reservoirs so that the dams wouldn't break. But releasing water from the reservoir caused a ton of extra flooding. So a lot of people who were like, whoo, the heavy rain has passed, we're safe. Yeah. We're now getting mandatory evacuation notices. Wow. They had uh, optional evacuation and mandatory evacuation. And a lot of people who were safe with the rain, a lot of those people are still underwater right now to this day. Really? Yeah. 
So two weeks later, they are still underwater. Okay, those so are the people that need rescue. That's a really small percentage of Houston. So Houston's headed back to um, normalcy. I don't want to say we're anywhere near normal, but we're headed to it. We're, we're, we're getting close. People are back to work for the most part. We are dealing with a post-natural disaster world where yeah. the city still isn't over the natural disaster as areas of Houston are still flooded. Um, a lot of our infrastructure is, um, there's a lot of freeways and highways that were destroyed in the flooding, just had bridges completely collapse or just roads collapse where they're no longer drivable. And so traffic right now in Houston is, as it was already very heavy before, is even heavier now. Today it took me 50 minutes to get home where I can usually do it in 35. You actually did leave the house. You actually did go to work. Uh, today you had school, right? Today I did have school. Yeah, it was the first day of school for students. Tell me a little so, bit more about that. Um, you're, so you're, you are a Spanish teacher. Yeah, so I teach high school Spanish at a um, public charter school that's yeah. dedicated. It's a district that's completely dedicated to working within low-income communities and bridging um, education inequality. Yeah. Just because generally in those low-income populations, there is a lot of um, disparity. We prepared yesterday um, for our students not knowing what it was going to be like. Well, our school was one of the heaviest hit with damages from the flooding as far as with our students. Really? Out of the 17 schools in our district, we were one of the three worst um, hit. I mean, and we don't really have them ranked one, two, three, but we're in the worst category. Wow. There's a picture of the flooding of our school boundaries, and it just shows so much, so much flooding. And so today, as students came, we wear school uniforms. Yeah. Easy to spot the kids who had um, had flooding in their homes because none of them had uniforms anymore. They had lost everything. I had some come up to me and say, hey, Mr. Porras, I'm sorry I lost my project. It was either my life or your project, and I chose my life. <laughs> and like he said it in jest, but it wasn't that much of a joke either. Like Really, they didn't have time to pick and choose what they were going to take. They didn't have time to take very many things. It was just grab what was closest and, and get out of the house. And I asked him, like, did you have to swim out? Did you walk out? And he's like, well, I had to swim to the front door, and that's how I got out. Um, it's, been, it's been tough. And today, with all of our activities, we had what we call a culture day where we talk about our goals and what we want to accomplish as a day, and we do team building and unity activities within our school all day long today. That, that was what we did. Yeah. Teacher observations in general were that students were very apathetic. A lot of them were very lethargic and just kind of shut off. Yeah. They weren't happy. They were kind of shut down. And, and some of them were happy. Some of them were joking and jovial. But in general, they were a lot more apathetic than usual. Because of what's, a, their homes were destroyed, right? And their friends' homes were destroyed. Their students at my school whose cousins died in the flooding, wow. um, whose grandparents died in the flooding. And, and we cover the entire spectrum of people who have nothing, who lost completely everything, who yeah. lost furniture, people who just lost a car, people who had insurance and lost their house, but they're going to get a lot of things back. Um, but the majority of people in our school who did lose their homes were very low income and they're not going to get it back. Yeah, share me um, um, some stories of uh, your experience cleaning up. So I was in a more affluent community cleaning up because my church bishop, his house had flooded. And so we went to help him and kind of the work just came about with his neighbors. People were looking for help. And so we just stayed in that area 
And so sometimes we were working hand in hand with contractors as they were cleaning out houses, though we tried to avoid that. Okay. So we did the work before contractors came in. And so these are generally people of means. Just wasn't enough contractors to go around. Yeah. There's not enough tools to go around. The lines for Home Depot are massive. The lines for car rental places are massive. There's not enough rental cars for people because their cars were destroyed. There wasn't food on the shelves. Gas was running out. The stores just didn't have enough to keep up with the demand and the needs of the people in the city. And so we needed breathing masks. Whoever got to the store first got the breathing mask. We needed crowbars, hammers, knives. It was just a first come first serve to the store. And if you weren't in there within the first part of the shipment, um, when the shipment first came, you weren't going to get a thing. Wow. And so we had people coming in from Dallas, buying supplies from Dallas and driving them in to get us supplies so that we could be able to do work. Because the, really the problem is if you wait for the contractors to do the work, you could have mold growing in your house for days or weeks. Wow. And so you can't wait for the contractor and you need someone to come help you. And we were working with a lot of elderly people or people who just didn't know what to do with their houses. And so by day three, we were basically pros. Um, we had talked to contractors. We had talked to people. We had a pretty good understanding of what was required. And so when we came into someone's home, they were super flustered, super stressed out because they had just lost so many things in their life. Very emotional. They don't know what to do. And we just come in. We talk them through the process, let them know what needs to happen within the house. And then we just take care of it. We just would gut houses, rip out drywall, um, rip out baseboards, rip out entire flooring, take out the furniture. And it would just line the streets because anything that touched that water had to be thrown away because they had messed with sewage. Yeah. And so it's all damaged. It's all got to be thrown away. You can't clean it. And so streets are just lined with people's entire houses. And you just walk and it's just garbage, which wasn't garbage a week ago, two weeks ago. So you had the experience seeing the more affluent neighborhood which, where you were helping out the most, but then seeing um, the less affluent neighborhoods, uh, particularly the students of which you teach. Um, kind of tell me, let's kind of contrast those. I'm, I'm curious. So I actually had a coworker who had a story he told me. He said he had a woman that was one of his professors who makes over $100,000 a year, well over it with side art projects even more. And she got her house flooded, knowingly moving into a flooded area because she wanted the house, not because she had to live there. And she created a GoFundMe page. And it really bothered him because he saw the needs in our school. And that person had insurance. That person had the means to recover, although it was very inconvenient, she had the means to recover, contrasted by our students who have nothing and have no way of getting anything unless it is given to them. They already were working very, very low-paying jobs. They were already driving very old cars, Yeah. poor conditions, um, poor housing. A lot of them were in subsidized housing. And now they have all that's gone, including their possessions. So you no longer have money to pay deposit on a house because you've got to buy clothes for all your kids. you got to buy all the food for all your kids. And these are the people not putting up a GoFundMe page. <laughs> I guess, exactly. And, yeah. and I guess the takeaway is <laughs> just, just I mean, don't... Some of them are, but yeah. they're, they're not going to have the people or the connections, the networking circle, where people can pay to get them back on their feet. Yeah. Because the people that they know are in the same situation and they don't have any money to give them because they're also suffering themselves. And so let's talk a little bit about that. How do we know how to help? I mean, people, you know, here in, in other states that aren't affected are, are wondering how they can help. And there's such a disconnect and there's so many different factors on what's effective and what's not. Um, um, help me out here. 
Well, talking of that disconnect, real quick, um, it's interesting because I've heard about all these natural disasters my entire life. Before having been involved in this big natural disaster, this massive natural disaster, whenever I would hear of a natural disaster, I'd get right back to my world, my life. Really, it wasn't affecting me. The reality is it, I was moving through life completely unaffected. Being in Houston, I am seeing damage all over the place. Yeah. It is completely interlaced and interwoven into my daily life. It's affecting me in a lot of different ways, but it's something I'm very passionate about, about helping because I've seen so much. Yeah. It was crazy because the day after I stopped doing 10 plus hours of volunteer work, I was back to my world. You're back to your normal world. Yeah, and it was like, oh, you have a problem? Well, I'm too busy because I've got to take care of this, this, and this. I was so into my own world that I had forgotten their issues and I was too busy or too whatever to help them, which is crazy to me, which helped me understand people's perspectives who haven't helped, who are super far away. That easy for me to forget being immersed in it. How yeah. easy is it for someone who is, hasn't even seen it in real life? Okay, Armando Poras, um, thanks for enlightening me and everybody else listening, um, getting the firsthand account of how things are in Houston. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Happy to be here. That was Armando Porras, a Spanish teacher at one of the hardest hit schools in Houston, Texas. So what can we do about the lingering effects of Hurricane Harvey and the devastation from Hurricane Irma that is continuing to unfold? Clearly, there are many organizations and GoFundMe campaigns out there but which ones do we pick? This is a difficult question, and it so happens that we covered this issue more extensively in our episode we released almost two months ago titled Good Versus Bad Charities. If the charity question is weighing heavily on your mind, give that episode a listen. Now, I know that the American Red Cross is an organization that is at the forefront when it comes to disaster relief for Hurricanes Harvey and Irma. So I got a Red Cross representative on the show. Joining me on the phone is Rich Woodruff, the Utah Regional Director of Communications for the American Red Cross. Our interview was last Saturday, just hours before Hurricane Irma hit Florida. Here's our interview. Okay, we have Rich Woodruff from the Red Cross. Um, Rich, thanks for your time. You know, thank you for your time. I mean, we, we so much appreciate uh, all of you guys' support to help get the word out about the Red Cross, what we're doing, what we're up against, how people can help and all that sort of stuff. So thanks. Yeah. So uh, kind of tell me what's on your plate right now. I, I think things are a little hectic on your end. Uh, tell me about it. Well, it is. It's, you know, this, this is turning out to be one of the largest responses Red Cross has seen in, frankly, decades. I mean, we're talking at the level of a Katrina, Sandy. Yeah. Uh, the damage from Hurricane Harvey, of course, was uh, catastrophic and continues to grow as, as the uh, true damage estimates are starting to come in. But, right. yeah, we, uh, we, we prepared for this, and we knew that uh, it was coming. So we had a lot of volunteers on the ground. We had sheltering capacity set up. So we we're on the scene uh, when the needs were there, and so we continue to be there and are taking care of people. And then at the same time, uh, bracing for kind of, you know, punch number two, if you will, uh, right. Hurricane Irma around the corner. And there's a lot of unknowns with that, but what we do know is that it is going to affect the United States in that area, and we've got people standing by our volunteer corps to address those needs as well. Great. Um so real quick, what can people do if they want to help out? 
Yeah, appreciate that. There's a, the, the the best thing that we advise people to do. Uh, we can, we certainly can use financial support. Um, you know, your donation enables us to get the help where it's needed most quickly and directly to. I mean, uh, we're we're dedicating funds raised right now to the hurricane relief efforts. Uh, so what we advise people to do is go to our website, redcross.org, yeah. and there are several ways you can donate. You can call, you can text, you can donate online. Uh, you can even mail a check if you want. But, uh, again, it's all designated for this disaster response, and uh, it's much needed and much appreciated. Great. Um, and here's kind of a random question uh, just because I was thinking about this. Um, I, I'm i able to donate blood. Is that going to affect uh, this directly? Yeah, you know, the blood, we, we, we sometimes forget that that's an important uh, piece. Uh, we actually have sufficient supplies on hand uh, in that area if needed, but there are, are a lot of unknowns uh, with this new hurricane coming. We don't know what the need will be. So it's important to remind people that the need is constant. And we want to remind people, especially in the summer months, it's kind of slow anyway. So uh, if you want to donate blood or give money or give time, uh, these are all important considerations, and they all come into play. Great. Uh, Rich Woodruff from the Red Cross, thanks for your time. Hey, thank you. We appreciate your support. Rich Woodruff is the Utah Regional Director of Communications for the American Red Cross. I just made a donation on their website, and you can too. I put the link in the show notes, even though redcross.org is not that hard to remember. If you're listening to this episode long after the episode has been released as many do, just remember that it's probably not too late to contribute to the relief efforts since the effects of these disasters go on for months and sometimes years. With these catastrophic storms, I hope that the infrastructure flooding will be overwhelmed by the flooding in of our support. Pun intended. A big thank you to Armando Porras and Rich Woodruff and thank you for listening. If you like the show, tell your friends and leave a review in iTunes. Our theme music is provided by D.D. Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Un-Uninformed. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>